With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside producers Gangster Pete and Iggy and videographer Nick Yale. Great to have you in for Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies presentation of Darren Pang as we enter into hockey season here in St. Louis. I have uh, wanted to get Panger on the program just because I knew it would be instant offense. He's just a guy that you know, I was just telling Gangster Pete, as a matter of fact, you set somebody up like Darren Pang with a question and you know you're going to get the best answer. Just first off, he's entertaining, like Chaser, can tell great stories, and then, you know, he's a broadcaster, so he uh, he gives you what you want and then some. So you get plenty of what you want and even more. So love the conversation. As I say, I'm a, I'm a parody of myself. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm going to say when I don't like one. Uh, that would be awkward. But this was one. You know, I can tell like, the boys are in here, uh, the producers and uh, Nick, and you can tell from the response that they enjoyed the conversation. If you're a Blues fan, you'll love this. Plus, I think you'll also enjoy uh, the history on Panger's playing career. You know, he's kind of like Tony Larusa in the sense that he downplays, you know, his ability. Um, but if you made it to the NHL and you played for the Blackhawks, you had to have some game. Um, and so that was a, a focal point in addition to, of course, talking about this upcoming season for the Blues and his time as Blues broadcaster and all the fun and games that have come throughout both his NHL playing career and his NHL broadcasting career, including a little fun fact that I was not aware of that Panger had uh, a little issue every time before he would play an NHL game. You will hear that in addition to much, much more coming up in this interview. It's all made possible by our sponsors, and I can't drive that home enough. Support the sponsors. Without the sponsors, we have no podcast. It's that simple. It is a business. We love doing the interviews. We love doing questions from the audience. We love doing pick six. But without sponsors, we have no podcast. So please make sure you support the people you hear advertising on the podcast, such as Ryan Kelly, of thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, online at thehomeloanexpert.com. He has been with us since we started a year ago. And if you are in the market to buy a home, if you're in the market to refinance, it's real simple. There's nowhere else you need to go, but just type in thehomeloanexpert.com. And that's the place that you're going to go. You're going to get great customer service. He's going to save you money. And you see his business growing. You see all the philanthropy that he participates in. You're dealing with a really good businessman. You're dealing with a really good person. And that's why you go to thehomeloanexpert.com. Buying a home, refinancing, it's Ryan Kelly. Through and through, online at thehomeloanexpert.com. And I made reference to Mark Hanna presenting our guest today, Darren Pang. Mark Hanna is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. They're online at evergreenstl.com. 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies presenting our guest and then James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, and all of our social media videos of our interview with Darren Pang brought to you by Seth Goldcamp and Design Air Heating 
and cooling. So had a chance to talk with Darren Pang. Love the conversation. As always, when I know I'm dealing with a fellow golfer, I nerd out on golf right away. Uh, it's just where I go. I had no idea it was a two and two point five handicap. That's legit. That's in a that's in a different world. Uh, so talk that over with Panger. Talk Blues hockey, and of course talked his playing career and some of the fun and games that have gone on throughout his broadcasting career. It's all coming up for you, courtesy of Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies here on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network, ladies and gentlemen from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Present to you, Darren Pang. Panger, thanks so much for coming in, man. I appreciate my, my it. My pleasure. I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking uh, Blues upcoming season with you and then also your uh, your career. But anytime I get a fellow golfer in here, I like to nerd out on, Love it. on the Love game. It. I could talk th- I could talk for 17 hours straight on, <laughs> on golf. I think all I think a lot of us who can, are into and it. What, and that's what makes golf such a great game. It's a it's a it's a, a bug, you know, and I was a couple of uh Current St. Louis Blues players have have recently got the bug. And, Who has uh, recently? Got, I saw Petrangelo has uh, been out there. It seemed yeah, like a good, a good yeah. amount. And uh, Alexander Steen uh, played with him this week, and he's he's really got it going now. Like mm-hmm. you know, so uh, his poor wife that, uh, that that didn't marry a guy that loved the game of golf. <laughs> now they're you know now they're married. She's locked in, and he loves the game of golf. And uh, Jaden Schwartz is another one. And uh, so these you know I, I just I think that uh, there's something so fascinating about guys under pressure. That, that hit a great shot. Like, I think it's, you know, in our sport of hockey, it's, you're right, there's there's goalies in the history of the game that could just make that one save that other guys couldn't, mm-hmm. or a guy that could just make that one pass when other guys couldn't, the pressure on. But when you grow up with a sport, it doesn't seem like it's pressure. But, you yeah, know, right. watching Tiger have to hit a green or make a, a you know, make, make a six to eight, ten foot putt with everything on the line and all those eyeballs on him, man, that is nerve-wracking just watching it. So yeah. I think that's why we... We, we, we want to be really good at that game, you know, because, you know, especially the players that I just mentioned have really mastered the game of hockey yeah. at the highest level. Do you feel that the part of the reason why you see a lot of guys, like we've talked about uh, Ozzie Smith, Marcus mm-hmm. Allen, these are guys who are Hall of Famers yeah. in their sport. It replaces in some capacity mm-hmm. the competitive element of everyday life that, that guys such as yourself experience from the time that you were three, four, five years yeah. old. And then when you when you stop playing your respective sport, now you you got to find some place to to have that competition. Yeah, and your body's not you know it, it's a great sport because your your body's been mangled up a little bit. I mean, for all of us that have been retired for a long time, I've got a uh, six surgeries on my left knee. I've got a knee replacement. I've got a labrum tear on my right hip that I got to get fixed. You got an elbow problem. And I don't, you, there, there's always something. But you can get on the golf course and play. Yeah. You know, maybe you can't walk with your bag 36 a day, but you can certainly get out there. And I think that might be something, too, that, you know, your, your competitive instincts are there. Um, you want to be really good at it. You, but, but also you want to be with your buddies. Like, I like yeah. playing golf with, with, with my guys. I, like any, it, and it doesn't matter about gambling or doing this or that, although that's, that's a fun part of it. Yeah. It's playing for something, but, but it's playing with your buddies and getting on that first tee and everybody throws the balls up. And now yeah. here we go. Yeah. And, Game on. Hey, the smart ass comments, they, they just come <laughs> flying in and, 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 and there we go rolling. So that's, uh, I, the, you miss the locker room a lot when you stop playing. Yeah. And I bet every one of the guys would say the same thing. Yeah. So that's where we're ready to get. So you're 2.5. That's, that's, that's legitimate. That's legitimate. What's the lowest you have been? Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was scratching in uh, living in Arizona when I when I um, when ESPN lost the rights to the NHL uh, in 2005. I got that that phone call from you know an executive producer that said, "Hey, we, you know we're all out. We we don't have hockey. I, we're going to keep Barry Melrose uh, on the set, but everybody else is free to go." And so you know I got a phone call from uh, 
um, from Mike Barnett, who was Wayne's agent at the time. And then Wayne called and said, he's going to coach the Coyotes. And he said, would you consider coming here and, and being our broadcaster? And I said, yeah, <laughs> I would consider it all right. <laughs> so I went out there. I had a putting green in my backyard. I played all the time. Grant Fear was the goalie coach, and Grant and I played a lot of golf. And He's a hell of a player, He's right? a great player, and he's a great guy to play with, yeah. too, which is even more important. But, he's a, yeah, he's a, he was a scratch player. So I, I kind of climbed it down, climbed down, and it you know just got to a point where I was playing so often, I just put a ball on the tee and just go. And if you can drive the ball straight in the desert, you're going to be way ahead of the game, and I'm a straight driver of the ball. And, and uh, so I was able to, to get down to a lower number. I really struggled coming back here. Struggled Why in the Midwest, that? struggled with the, my carries. The ball didn't go as far. Mm-hmm. Um, especially I play out at Meadowbrook and a lot of the greens, even though some of the holes can be short, a lot of the greens are raised. And so your carry distance is a little yeah, different, right. you know, you got to, so you might be hitting nine iron somewhere else, but you might have to hit an eight iron here. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so it, it seemed like I, you know, for a while here, I was like, Ooh, I'm not even a, I'm not a six handicap. I'm, <laughs> I'm playing to an eight here. And then I, and then I got kind of going again and, uh. And, and got it down a little bit. Well, you're right about the wife thing. I happened on my desk, <laughs> my desktop here, my laptop. I was going through a picture of our one-year-old Easy son. now, big guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Wait, that's later in the podcast. <laughs> but I have a, I have a sh- uh, video from my uh, swing instructor, and I said, oh, take a look at this to my wife. She goes, oh, yeah, can you please text that to me? There's nothing more that I'd like to see than you working with your swing instructor. Who's your oh. instructor? Uh, Craig Story, Greenbrier, okay. who is outstanding. Total swing Nerd like myself. Now oh, that nice. I've gotten back into the game, who do you? Who do I didn't you, ask. I didn't ask about your your uh, your index though. You asked I about am mine. Seven point six. Seven point six. So, so I can't. I can't hang with you. You play boys. to an eight at your club, or is that uh, nine? Yeah. Uh, at, yeah, I think it's a nine. Eight, actually, nine I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. So I can't hang with you, boys. I don't have a swing instructor. You're just never naturally. No, I never. I've never. Uh, I had one. I had a lesson. I when I was living in Chicago, I belonged to Aurora Country Club, real good old country club, and the the our, our pro back then, we just we hit it off. Um, I had these custom Henry Griffiths clubs, um, and uh, and I and I, I loved uh, uh, George Newtson as a Canadian golfer and one of the great swings. And this guy used the same clubs and had a little bit of a draw swing, and I just hit it off with this guy, and and I ended up getting you know a couple of lessons with him, and that was it. And I just kind of go back to. If I I go back to a book, I go back to you know watching something. I'm on YouTube, you're going YouTube. I'm just a visual guy. Yeah, and I'll, I'll watch George Newton yeah videos on YouTube. And yeah. he's just a cl- really good swinger of the club, and it's a it's a similar move that I have that I because my being so short, um, I, you probably figured that out that I'm re- relatively short. And then, <laughs> Listen, so, I can relate. <laughs> so my swing my swing isn't you know I don't hit these high right. you know big cut Jack Nicholas balls I'm a low drawer of the ball most times in a lower ball flight so anyway that's what I don't I don't like taking a lesson because then I'll then I'll think of something yeah and, no, I'm an I old know. goalie I don't want to be thinking about <laughs> do you think it's easier for hockey players we always hear oh well, he's a hockey player so he's easily going to transition into being a good golfer is there something to that I agree totally yeah. agree I mean you know even I'm amazed at uh you know at other like you know running back a wide receiver uh uh, they didn't grow up, you know, facing, you know, let's just, let's say our body's north and, you know, and we got to turn to our right mm-hmm. and we got to hit a shot going that way. There's something odd and peculiar about aiming, you know, if you haven't done that. But hockey players, you know, we don't shoot a puck facing north. We're, you know, we're facing that side. Yeah, so, I, yeah. And I think our hand action, even though your hands are separated, the hand action is the same. The right elbow drops down. The, 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 um, the contact has got to be in, in, the, in the middle of the... Of the, of the blade of the stick, you know, it's got to be in the middle of the club face as well. I mean, it's not a fluke that Brett Hall is a really good golfer and that the sound of 
Brett Hall hitting a hitting a ball with a five iron is it sounds good. Yeah. You know, it sounds pure. You know, and uh, you know, so I I think there is. I think I think that whole motion, that whole follow through, that whole finishing on your left side. If you're a right hander, whether you're taking a slap shot or a wrist shot or or playing golf, you've got to have your weight transferring to your left side 100. percent And that's same thing with hockey. You didn't pick up the game of golf until you were 22. When did you start playing the game of hockey? I was oh goodness. 18 months. Is that documented? I got a picture of uh, on skates. And, uh, you know, God bless my mother. She passed a few years ago. She, she had everything all labeled. And I was on ice, on skates, standing straight up with a hockey stick in my hand. And uh, I think that's just, it was just common. So I played that. I played travel hockey when I was uh, six. I was on a travel hockey team, I think six, nine, on, And then played with a lot of great players growing up, too, like, I, I grew up in uh, Nepean, Ontario, which is outside of Ottawa, the nation's capital, and, and we were the Nepean Raiders. And uh, um, when I was six and seven, my best player on my team was a guy named Doug Smith. Up until I was 12 years old, I, I played with Doug every other year because I jumped up because he's, he's older than me. And then I, I stayed in my age group for my second year of whatever level that was. And then another young kid, Danny Quinn, came up and was my teammate then. And so Doug, Doug Smith ended up being the second overall pick of the LA Kings. And Danny Quinn ended up being the 13th overall pick of the Calgary Flames. And then Danny left to go to, to, to uh, London, Ontario. Their family moved. And Steve Eisman came in and moved in from, from uh, Burnaby, British Columbia. So I just kind of segued to all these great players. And I ended up uh, with Steve. And then Steve and I have been best friends, uh, boy, for almost 40 years. How about so, that? But I was lucky. That, it's, that's how competitive our group was. Uh, Guys from St. Louis, like Dave Lowry, w- went to my high school, uh, played over a thousand games. Freddie Brathwaite, the likable yeah, goaltender, sure, absolutely. He went to my goalie blues, school. Yeah. yeah, when he went, he went to my goalie school when when he was uh, like twelve and thirteen, and we went to the same high school. So we've been surrounded by Jeff Brown, another sure a great Nepean guy that uh, that ended up. So for a little small town, like I think there was eighty thousand people, we we had a lot of really really good yeah. players and so is it a huge huge part of the culture there even more so than say other canadian cities throughout no, the country i think it's pretty similar similar yeah, yeah. i just happen to have some kind of thing yeah. going on there yeah and they still do to this day you know it's, it's good just a good minor hockey program smaller city like toronto's the that would be the main hub i mean the mthl is you can boy you can be scouting 12 year olds right now and you'll probably hit it right on the nose which one's going to be a player it's um there's just so many more players there but uh, but it was still still a great city to grow up in uh, in Ottawa. Were you a, were you netminder through and through from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I, I started as a as a forward. Um, I love playing forward. I in fact I hated playing goal to be honest with you. Early on, I uh, my dad was a goalie and one one you know he was coaching a team and he said, hey, why don't you give it? A, my dad called me Joey. Joe, why don't you why don't you give it a, a, tr- a try? You know, I played goal and we've got some old equipment and uh, I put on the I put on the equipment and I had good hands so I caught a lot of I could catch really well and. And then uh, my dad's like, listen, you're the best we've got. I'm like, I, I want to play forward. Like, I like scoring goals. I played forward in lacrosse. And uh, and I, I didn't really like the feeling of giving up a bad goal and letting your team down. Like, it was an awful feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I just got queasy. I, 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 could, I could never eat. I was, I was really nervous. And I couldn't eat. Like, what a bad combination for, like, a seven, eight, nine-year-old. Like, I had to, I ate porridge and cream of wheat my whole life. Oh, my God. Like, you're in an thing. orphanage or it something. Was the only, <laughs> it was the only thing I could that could I could get down in my stomach. Anything else, I'd feel this. So, oh, would you get sick? Like, you actually get sick? Or would you in, feel in the, like... In the NHL, I got sick before every game. 
And it was just a disturbing feeling. Oh like, my God. You know it's coming. Like literally every game. Literally every game. Yeah. So it just became, you knew that you were going to go like the boys, the boys eat. in the room were like, oh, Panger's over there Actually, vomiting. that's exactly right. Really? Yeah. It's a tradition. <laughs> Anybody join you or are you on solo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the boys would be like, oh, because our rinks weren't as nice and pristine as these rinks today. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, there, there was a, in Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, you, your locker room is there and, and then the, the toilets are in the middle of the room. I mean, so you're, you guys <laughs> are like changing, jail, and, they're like, and, like. and they're like, you know, they could see it after the warm-up, come back, and feeling it, I could feel it, I could feel it, I'm like, oh, I go there, and the boys are listening, and they're like, come on, <laughs> Panger's ready to go, <laughs> let's go, boys, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a terrible feeling. A, I would imagine so. So this started as a seven-year-old, I was and nervous it carried all, the I was nervous all the wow. way through, yeah. That's something else. I, and I'm wondering if it would have changed, and I think it would have, if I was just, if I was a forward, you know, I was a... Because then the attention isn't all on you and yeah. the goal. You know? Yeah. You know what kind of a feeling it is? Like, you know, like parents and everybody's, they watch games. And I know how competitive it is there in minor hockey. And they just look at the goalies and the goalie. And you can you, you give up a bad goal and everybody. I mean, there is, oh, oh. <laughs> and they don't want to look at the mom and, you know, mom and dad of the kid playing. You're looking the other way. And the, the grunts and groans. And the kid comes out and everybody's trying to tell him good game. And he knows. You know, you know when you, you know when you gave up such a, a bad time, you know, bad time goal, and and uh, it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. Man. You you really grow up, and and you feel like you can handle a lot in life because not many people give up. I, you make good saves along the way, but but I tell you, I remember the bad goals I gave up. Yeah. Like I, when I retired, I woke up like haunted from some goals. I was like, oh, I can't believe Joe Mullen scored from behind the net like that, you know. Or, I woke up, I, 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 I hit my wife so hard in the nose, her nose bled and her eyes were watering because I was making a glove save in, in bed. And, and so I'm on the right side, she's on the left, my glove saves, my glove's on the left. I turn, I guess I must have been having a dream and bang, I made this save and she was crying and I'm like, what happened? She goes, you hit me right in the nose. I'm like, I made the save. <laughs> Didn't make it the first time, probably. That's why I'm having a dream about it. Yeah, wicked. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know this. Oh, my God. This is something else yeah, here. wicked, huh? Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Blues broadcaster Darren Pang here on the Tim McKernan Show. His guest appearance is presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. So, Mark is somebody who I, I know uh, got to know about uh, three, four months ago at this point. Uh, reached out to me, wanted to sponsor the podcast, had heard that uh, we had something going here, and he wanted to be associated with it. I'm flattered. And so the way that it works is uh, we meet. And I was just kind of saying what's up, making sure that uh, he was somebody I wanted to tell you about. Uh, and and then over the course of the conversation, it wound up being more of uh, me learning about his business and how he does business and then driving home the point that, wow, I really blew it in my 20s and my 30s with my management of my money. And uh, I say that not as like part of the spot. I say that as truly part of my life. And that's why for, for those of you listening, I really want to drive home the importance of having somebody like Mark Hanna, uh, a financial advisor uh, who can get you on the right track, but organize your things. Maybe I'm wrong here. But for me, sometimes it's not doing the actual task. It's dreading the task that tilts you more. And so from that standpoint, I would rather have uh, the peace of mind to know that I made the phone call, 314-889-0503, and I just got myself on the right track. Now, what does that require? It just requires giving Mark your information. He enters it into uh, this program on 
uh, his iPad, and, and now you have a plan. He organizes it for you. This is the move. 314-889-0503 or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. You will be better off for making the phone call. 314-889-0503 or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. Now, back to Mark Hanna. It's a presentation of Darren Pang here on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, hey, we have a videographer making his way in, so I'll open the door so he can uh, just video these for some Well, a uh, high purposes. budget, huh? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I mean, I think you can tell. Look how nicely I'm yeah, dressed. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. got to be impressed. Nick, Darren, how are you doing? Darren, good to see you. Nick, we continue on. Panger's telling stories about throwing up throughout his NHL career. Yes. It's great. What a it's, fun. A sh- it's a shame you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I mean, I would imagine if you're playing in the NHL, you had to be pretty good as you were growing up. I mean, obviously, that goes without saying. Was it clear that you were at a different level? At an early age, could you tell, could your teammates tell, especially for how competitive you guys were? You guys were probably playing some good yeah. opponents. You know what? Thinking back, that was the only level I, you know, only level I knew. I mean, I when I went to every one of the tryouts, as I got older, it was quite obvious that I wasn't growing and everybody was saying the same thing. He's he's, he's too small. I can't play. Can't were, go your, for were your parents small? Yeah. yeah. Parents small. Whole yeah. family small. Um, um, for a while, I was the tallest in the family until <laughs> my, my brother got to five, nine. Oh, did he? Um, but, but so every camp you go from, you know, from Tyke to Adam where we dominate, we won so many, we won tournaments all over the place. And to Pee Wee went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. We, we, then it was from Pee Wee to Bantam was going to be the biggest jump. And right away I made, you know, I jumped right because I always jumped right as a minor. I jumped right to the next level and played on the major team. It was every single year. So now it was going to get tough here, getting into the Bantam years. And uh, so you're 13, 14, and everybody's getting a little bit bigger. So that's what they're talking about. And and uh, then, you know, sure enough, you go to camp and you don't give up. Any, you know, if you don't give up any goals, people start noticing. Yeah. So you had to have a chip on your shoulder. You had to have a – you had to because otherwise they found an excuse to – find a little guy out of the lineup. So I was able to keep grinding through it. So again, I did the same thing again, Bantam major and, and stayed as a Bantam and did it again. Then in, in getting a midget was a really tough one because now you're, and sure enough, I knocked off, you know, I started off on par with my partner and then by Christmas, I, you know, I knocked that out and I became the, the number one goalie and we made it to the Air Canada cup, which is the national midget triple A championship and made that. And, and then, uh, and then the next year, I jumped, I didn't play another year of midget. I jumped right to, I from uh, as a minor midget, I jumped right to Central Junior A. So Steve Eisman and I played with uh, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, and he was 15 and I was 16. And we had just the most fun year ever because now we're thinking we're men. You know, we're, we're hanging out with guys. Around. There's beer. There's I mean, there are cases of beer in the shower after the game. Oh, man. Like, you know, like we're that? like this is unbelievable. You know, like we are fifteen and sixteen years old. Yeah, That's the greatest. Like we we were get we treated we got treated great by our teammates, and uh, we end up having a great year. And and uh, uh, anyway, so then from there, now I'm now I'm thinking I'm not growing much, but I'm you can I can feel confident. I got drafted first goalie pick at uh, Major Junior A. Wow. So Eisman was the fourth overall pick. You know, my buddy Danny Quinn. I'll circle back, but my buddy Danny Quinn, who left us. After as a peewee, so he was twelve or thirteen, went to London. Mm-hmm. He ended up getting drafted number one overall, and then so I was I was drafted to the same team. He was the Belleville Bulls, and Steve was drafted the Peterborough Peets. But it just went on and on. And the only thing that it didn't do after that for me, yeah, I said I never got drafted to the NHL. I went to two different drafts. Uh, I my my agent said you probably get picked in the later rounds. I never got picked. So my second draft that I went to, which was the one that uh, 
Danny Quinn and Steve Eisman did get drafted in, so I went to watch them in the first round. And they were all in Montreal back then, and there was a, a stick representative. He worked for Coho Sticks, and he, he became a friend, and he's watching me, and, you know, that first round went by, the second round went by, and I'd already done it the year before, and he said, want to go to the Expos game? I said, absolutely. <laughs> we had a change of clothes in the car. I got a, you know, took the suit off. And we went to the Expos game. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was enough. So that was good. And then, so I got, you know, I got signed as a free agent. I never got drafted. A lot of my buddies got drafted, though. And, you know, and they never ended up playing. So I was very lucky. I got to, again, I think a chip on the shoulder was probably my, my biggest motivation, you know, not being drafted. And it was the first time that that had happened. And it was disappointing. But then I got to, I got to sign. And the, the Blackhawks were one of the only teams that actually reached out to me and offered me a contract. So that's why I, I ended up going to Chicago. And then I went to Milwaukee, Saginaw, Saginaw, Halifax, and then I made uh, made the Blackhawks in '87. Wow, what a feeling that had to be, it's especially because I would imagine, you know, we both will joke about the height thing, but unfortunately, it's a it's a reality, especially when you're playing professional sports. Mm-hmm. But it's a reality just in general uh, that people look at you in a different way. It's, it's it's human nature. I'm not angry about the whole deal, but when you're trying to, qualify, you seem angry. I, well, I am angry. I'm angry me, about yeah. other things. Okay. I mean, we'll talk about baldness later. That's what yeah. I'm angry about. We both can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I feel like, you know, you might have all the talent in the world, but people are going, ah, he's, like you said, he's too small. You were hearing that. What, when you were like 10, probably very little. Very yeah. little. Yeah. And then it may have played a role in the yeah. fact that you didn't get drafted. No question. No question. Yeah. Really? No, yeah, yeah. No question about it. I, I actually, later on, I got to go through, uh, um, there was a, a, a friend of mine at TSN had all the scouting reports from the eighties and he's a, he's, he's a real researchaholic. And so I, I said, can I read? Uh, oh, you're going to see your scouting so report. I, so I saw it. And, and a lot of it was exactly what it was. Uh, you know, little goalie, quick, good reflexes, great glove, uh, um, really small, you know, not very good on his angles, you know, a battler because we won a Memorial Cup. So when you win the national championship in Canada, uh, I was with the Ottawa 67s. Then I ended up getting traded and I had, man, we had Bruce Cassidy and Brad Shaw and Adam Creighton and Gary Roberts. We had a t- w- terrific team. And uh, so we ended up winning the Memorial Cup. So when you win it, there's always some scout that says, you know what? I saw him, you know, going up against the other, the best that we have, the best eligible drafted goalies and he, he won the more cup like he was that he was that guy so i think there you know that's where the reach out came out and it's like we'll give him a chance and mm-hmm. and then got a chance to got a chance to play which was incredible because i really thought it you know after my first year in the minors i still thought there's a chance but i had one situation where i i, I said i said i am really going to have to work a lot harder i thought i worked hard and then i got recalled by the blackhawks in 84 85 and um, I felt like a, a small goalie for the first time in my life. I felt small. And why is that? They were so good. Yeah. I mean, I was only in the minors for three months coming out of junior, you know, major junior hockey. And I'm telling you what, I got schooled. Like they must've been thinking, who, who is this guy? Like he's, I'd been to one camp and they were picking me apart. I, I, I looked, I felt like the net was so damn big. Whereas my whole life, I felt like the net was nothing back there. I could give players glove side and take it away and tease them a little bit. I couldn't do that. And there was one particular um, episode that, that I really said, I'm, all, I'm crushed here. I finished a practice. So when I was recalled, I was recalled for three weeks. Uh, enough that I got to make, you know, about $10,000, which was, I was unbelievable. <sighs> Bought my mom a TV and some, and some diamond earrings. I was so excited. I thought that was the best thing because I was making 22500 the miners. But after one of the practices, I'm exhausted, first of all. The ice is brutal at the old Chicago Stadium, and I'm about to come off the ice. 
because coaches are done. Everybody's done. I'm picking up the pucks. And up comes the stairs. There's 24 steps behind both nets at the old Chicago Stadium. And I hear this. And I'm thinking, oh, man, not more. Like, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Stan Makita came up in a sweatsuit and gloves. And he had his stick on. And he he came up. And he was out of, like, he was, it's not like the alumni of today. Stan wasn't around all the time. So the great Stan Makita was 45 years old at the time. And I was, I just turned 21. And he comes up and I'm, and I take, I take off my glove and I shake his hand like Stan Makita. So uh, he says, Hey, would you mind if I shoot some pucks on you? Well, now I'm, now I'm pumped up, you know? (laughs) So where, where I'll, I'll go around in circles where I really thought that I'd never make it. Stan Makita stood there for probably 20 minutes and picked me apart. I couldn't stop a puck. He's a 45 year old guy. Hadn't played for, I think it was four years, and just wanted to shoot pucks, and I couldn't stop him. I'm thinking, holy smokes, like, how am I supposed to play in this league? And I know he's a great player, but come on, you know? And I was so frustrated. I broke my stick over the crossbar. I was so mad. And there's while the, he was out there? There's my temper. I had a little bit of a temper problem. <laughs> and uh, yeah, while he was out there, yeah. Uh-huh. We finished the session. I, that was it. I mean, I, I think he felt bad because, I mean— he, he, he was just having fun, <laughs> and he'd drop his shoulder and look like he was going right and go left. He'd, he'd go like that, and he'd go high glove. He'd go there and go through my legs. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like, but he's one of the greatest players that's right. ever played. It'd be like Michael Jordan probably you know, picking up a basketball and, and dancing any, anybody, but, but it wasn't. For me, it was different. It was, I didn't feel very confident after that. So what did you, so did that, that I got sent down to the minors right after that. Well, man. I got sent right, right back down, and, and, uh, and they told me, actually, they said, you got a lot of work to do. I'm like, you're, you're, de- you're darn right. I got a lot of work. And I knew it. Uh-huh. Like, usually when somebody said that to me, I, I'd f- throw yeah, that middle finger right, out there right, and say, right, oh, right. yeah, I'll yeah. be right back here. Yeah. But this time, I was like, I sure do. Uh-huh. And I went down to the minors, and I, I worked a lot in a, in a different fashion than I did before. When Not natural. Say, I had to work it. I'm curious what a goalie, when you say you worked at it, there's no doubt in my mind, you worked at it. Yeah. What does a goalie do well, I, to work at it? I figured out I, I, I wasn't as square to the shooter as I thought I was. I was a bit of a cheater. So you get you get... That's why when I can analyze, uh, let's say Jake as an example, there, there's you know there's a move here or there where every goalie goes through it where you get flat on the line instead of square. So you know like let's just say that you favor a left hand shot going down your right side, and you can somehow you get your whole body position can get nice and square so that 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 player if you don't even move, he's not going to score. So if you mm-hmm. show enough patience to not move before that puck is off his stick, he probably won't score anyway. Mm-hmm. So you can stand there. If you're right, but there's sometimes where Jake on the on his left side gets a little flat with his right skate, and I was that way, and that's why I can recognize it when he has a little bit of an issue with it, and and so and when that happens, and Stan Makita shooting or Al Secord or Denny Savard or Bernie Federico or or they're gonna score, <laughs> and it's not even close. Like, and you think you've got them, and it's not even close, and and so that's what I had to work on. So I had to really go back and study, and I found a guy that was coaching the. Uh, at that time, Salt Lake Golden Eagles, and he ended up being a former coach with the Blues, Wayne Thomas, and he was an NHL goalie. I watched him working with Mike Vernon, who was sent down to Salt Lake, and this is where my game changed. I watched them practice after our pra- no before our practice because we were after them, and then I knocked on the visiting coach's door after our practice because he was watching ours now, and I introduced myself and I asked him if I could have the drill book that he just used with Mike Vernon. And he says, I'll make something up for you. He made about 10 pages for me. I still have it to this day. And that and those drills, 
that changed that changed the way I was, the way I positioned myself, how square I was, how patient I was. And Wayne Thomas ended up being my goalie coach in Chicago the year I made the Hawks. So that's one of the reasons why wow. I really made it was because he went to bat for me. But so that's what that's what you know. You're not going to work harder. You can stand. You can sit in the net for hundred hours, but if you're not stopping it, and you're not working it at it. But matter, it, right. it was my foot position, That's basically, my hands and my feet and my patience, and and that was in order to be a small guy, I was going to have to play as big as I was going to have to play big, and on top of my crease, and I wasn't going to be able to go down prematurely like I was doing before. Yeah. So, did you do you feel like you get to the NHL without that? I don't think so. Really? Yep. It's I don't. I don't. I, I absolutely mm-hmm. defining moment for me, yeah. no question, and I still have it. Yeah. Which is even shows yeah. some value in that thing. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Thirty years later, when you look back on your your time with the Hawks, what stands out to you about that NHL experience that you know so many, especially around St. Louis, yeah. so many kids are dying to get what you were able to mm-hmm. accomplish and worked however many years to get to that point. Man. When you think about that, I think putting on your putting on that sweater for the first time was was something else. the The first game I backed up was against the Montreal Canadiens, which was my favorite team growing up. So I'm I'm I mean I'm. Literally, I'm, I'm on, and there was actually a funny story, really funny line from Larry Robinson, who was playing for the Canadians at this time. And Larry's now with the St. Louis Blues as a special advisor, and he denies that he ever said this. But uh, in the warm-up, um, <laughs> unbelievable. Didn't even have my last name on my sweater. Number 34, no last name. And uh, so I get in the net, and I guess Larry Robinson and Doug Wilson are good friends. They grew up in Ottawa together, and, and I guess as they're skating around, Larry Robinson pats him on the shin pads. Said, Willie, come over here for a second. I guess Doug skates over and he goes, he goes I was just looking at the, 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 the goalie. He says, where's the other half of them? So, so man, Doug Wilson, if Doug Wilson couldn't wait to tell me that, where's the other half of your goalie? Best line ever, which is a great line, actually. And so, so that, you know, but going on the ice, you know, going up those stairs, yeah. um, playing your first time in the Montreal Forum, for me, that was incredibly special. I love the Montreal Canadiens growing up. Um, they were they were absolutely. I, I'm sure for a lot of baseball fans, if you're you know Cardinals fan or Yankees fan, you, you gravitate towards winners. Mm-hmm. I just they just won all the time. They were always winners, so I I love them. Didn't like the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the first time I played Maple Leaf Gardens, I'd played there before in Major Junior. I wasn't it wasn't as much of a big deal for me. Yeah. Playing in the Boston Garden is just incredible, mm-hmm. incredible spot. I gave up a goal from center ice there. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a that good time. Fun. I should have had more. Did you wake up on a nightmare game. on that one? Yeah, uh, no question. That was that was that was one for the ages. <laughs> Enjoying this conversation with Darren Pang. Hope you are as well. Without the sponsors of the program, we would have no conversation. So please make sure you support our sponsors. James Carlton has been a sponsor of the program from the very beginning and we advocate James Carlton here on this program. James is somebody that I've gotten to know over the last year and therefore somebody I can recommend wholeheartedly and not think twice about it. That's because of the way that he does business. I, here's 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 an, here's yet another anecdote because they keep popping up uh, completely on me, nobody else but me. I uh, had an, an insurance payment due for uh, one of the cars that we have uh, under the inside STL umbrella. I believe it's Iggy's whip, as a matter of fact. And uh, and James said, hey, you got to make sure you got to pay this bill by uh, September 20th. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. Well, I forgot. And then it's Saturday, and it, it hit me that, oh, I forgot. And so I uh, I texted James. I said, hey, I forgot what to do. This is like 6 o'clock, too, on a, on a Saturday night. And he goes, oh, no problem. I can take your payment over the phone real quickly. And I'm Saturday night. I mean, within within seconds of me sending the text. And I know that might sound like, well, of course, what else is he supposed to do? But I'm sure some of you are listening going, man, my my person would never do that. And that's the kind of difference you're going to get by, by making the switch to James Carlton. 314-961-4800. 
314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. Home, life, auto, he covers it all, but he covers it at a different level because of the manner with which they conduct customer service. That's the thing that to me stands out. But you know what? It's going to save you money as well because he knows how to do it because this is his industry. James Carlton, carltoninsurance.net, 314-961-4800. A great sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. Back to our guest, Darren Pang. As, as you're playing, are you thinking, well, you know, it's, you know, I'm in the NHL, but inevitably you're thinking past that and, and thinking broadcasting or what's in your mindset that gets from the transition from the playing to becoming the Darren Pang that the blues fans and many fans around North America are familiar with. I think I, I think I was planning that when I was playing major junior A with the auto 67s. Wow. Yeah, that was cause I'd already, if I didn't get signed by a team, we had a, a, a four year scholarship. Anybody that plays major junior A so many years gets a full ride in Canada. And, and I, you know, I know that the, we, obviously the schools in the States are, plentiful and great schools, but there's some great schools in Canada. Unfortunately, I really didn't pay much attention to school, so I couldn't get into some of them, but I was trying to get into um, Ryerson. Is a, I, I, I wanted to get into a broadcasting school, and that's where I was headed. And, uh, and then I ended up signing a two-year contract, right. so I did turn pro. And I, I, but I, at, so at that point, that I really thought about my second year in the uh, My second year in the minors, I hosted a show every Friday morning at 8 o'clock in Saginaw. So I started, you know, driving to a radio station and, you know, it was just one hour, eight to nine o'clock. And then I'd go to practice for 1030. And so then I, I you know, thought a little bit longer about that and, yeah. and harder about that. And then when I was in Chicago, big city, plenty of opportunity. I tore my ACL. And so I was out. I had surgery September of all the days, September 11th and uh, September 11th, 1989. And our producer at the time, Lisa Seltzer, it'd be like any one of you guys work. She worked for the team. She was the producer for. Pat Foley and Dale Talon, and and she said, uh, I'm going to ask um, the Blackhawks permission for you to do uh, college hockey. I said, well, that's a great idea. So I did CCHA hockey. I, UIC Flames were, were uh-huh. CCHA, you know, whether it be Michigan State or Ferris State or Lake Superior or wherever, um, Bowling Green. So I, 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 I got a molded IFB, and I started doing games, and I did games with three play-by-play guys at, at UIC, which was pretty amazing. One, one guy, Chris Madsen, he ended up being the first voice of the Anaheim Ducks. My second guy was Randy Hahn. He's still the voice of the San Jose Sharks. And my third voice was Mike Goldberg that I worked with later on at ESPN. Yeah. And he worked for the Red Wings, Wild, and UFC. Wow. He's the voice of the U.S. So this little the, the school, it's no longer D1. So that's how I got. So now I had demo tapes. Now I got, you know, now I was really into it. Mm-hmm. And, and so when, it, when I ended up retiring a couple of years later, I really, I jumped right into it without yeah. any hesitation. What, what do you think it is that, that, that has made you successful and continue to climb up the ranks and be a voice that I think, you know, similar to, to whether you were talking baseball, football, basketball, if Darren Pang is on the call, it feels like a, a bigger game. Why do you think you have, why do you think from the outset you were able to have some success? I have a lot of energy. I mean, even as, even as I get older, that's never waned. Like I go into a, I go into a rink and now, especially being between the benches, there's just a, it's exhilarating. So I get excited for every game. Mm-hmm. I still do. There's not one game. And I think if I don't, I'll probably pack it in. If I felt like I was cheating what I'm doing, I, I would pack it in. There's, I like working with John. He's well prepared. So I know that John Kelly's going to take care of that part of it, the play-by-play side. And my job is to get in there and dig around for something, mm-hmm. get a story here, get a nugget there. And 
I learned from the very best. John Davidson was my mentor, and he was the very best of getting something that somebody else doesn't have. And and I, you know, I I I think that's that's one reason. But but it's funny. I was playing golf with a couple of the guys, uh, Jake Allen and and uh, uh, Alex Steen, and our newest member Ryan O'Reilly, and uh, um, Pat Maroon was buzzing around on a cart. He had to leave and. And uh, the one one thing that we were, we were talking about broadcasting, and uh, it's funny that Steiner said it. Steiner said, "Ryan, you're, you're gonna you're gonna love it here. Our guys are really good. They're fair. They pump you up. You know the wives the wives like them. And that's no, that's something <laughs> well, that, that is saying you know something. like that's yeah. A, so, I know what you're saying. You know, so so I said uh, I said something like, hey, it's not like I don't give it to you a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so we we're talking about it, and Ryan's like, hey, you're you, can, you know, that's fair. That's fair game. It's it's how you give it. And I go, yeah, I, I give it with a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> I said, <laughs> like, oh, that's a bad pass. Whoa, that's a ba- oh, I can't believe he made that play. But anyway, that's I think that's a that's a positive thing. Relationships with players, but I don't just mean working for <clears throat> the Blues because you're you know you can be a, a you know a, a homer in in a sense. I like going in the other team's locker room. I like I, I know as much about I hope about the other team as I do about the St. Louis Blues. If the Blues aren't playing very well, I'd rather talk and have more information on the other team than talk poorly for 40 minutes about how crappy somebody is. Mm. It just gets old after a while. Like you, you can only say it so many ways when somebody's not playing well. But what, let's move it to another area or relationships between players. Did they play hockey together as peewee somewhere? Do we have pictures of that? You know, Tim Paps, our producer. Timmy, what do we? I'm on talkback. Timmy, what do we have here? This game's going south. What elements do we have? Okay, we've got this. We've got that. We've got that. No more replays about how bad we are. We're all on the same page. Okay, let's go. You know, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's bring something else to the table so we're, we're not drowning in our own. I, I use a phrase because I'm a big Springsteen fan, but we're not all waist deep in a big muddy, you know, because <laughs> that gets old. You know? yeah, when things aren't going so, real. Yeah. Where did the catchphrases come from? Was that, mm-hmm. that these from the, the days back in, you There's know, a few playing? Of them. Yeah. Actually, the few of them, like the nine of hearts is, a, is a, just an old euchre phrase. And if you've ever played euchre and, and, you've, and you've got a, you know, your partner's all all set and he's got clubs and he's relying on you to get just one trick and, and, and you're stuck. Your best card's the nine of hearts. I always, I would always say that growing up, whether it was, uh, you know, trying to date a girl in, in high school and come back to your, your buddies or how to go. And you're like, ah, I got the nine of hearts, <laughs> I, you know, and so I implemented that one game. I, somebody made a great move and I just said on the air, he just gave, whoa, he gave him the nine of hearts. And, you know, th- that kind of grew or holy jumping grew because I was excited about one particular play after talking about him, um, basically all morning skate throughout the game. And he wasn't doing anything. He was a little guy with good hands and he wasn't doing anything. And I was getting disappointed. And then all of a sudden he, he turns around, he has the puck on the right. He dragged it through his own legs, put it through the defenseman's legs, Dance the goalie, and Steve Levy was on the call. It was a main ESPN game in New Jersey, and I jumped out of my seat. And there was probably something was supposed to come out that wasn't holy jumping. It was probably something else. And I came, holy jumping, what a play! And poor Steve Levy never got to call the goal. I mean, I just dusted him, you know, which isn't a good thing to do, but I... Anyway, I gave him the nine of hearts is what I gave him. <laughs> so that was that was one. And it was Steve Sullivan who ended up playing a thousand games in the yeah. NHL. And I, I always told him you were the first holy jumping. Um, so and, and then things kind of grew, you know, like and why wouldn't he or you just things just kind of. Yeah. Why? I love why wouldn't yeah, he? Why, why wouldn't he? You know? <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a classic. It's a, so you're, you're in Phoenix and then the opportunity is to come to St. Louis. Am I correct <laughs> on the career trajectory after all of the ESPN time up until 2005? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was almost 14, 13 years, 14 years there. Um, I had a, a really 
a, a great thing happened to me. Um, late in our year, um, the Blues were making the playoffs in that improbable run. Um, oh, nine? they won 13 or 14. Yes, oh, nine. the 08-09 yeah. yep. season. And uh, at that point, the, you know, there was a lot of talk, especially internally, um, about the Blues. Were, I mean, the, the, the Coyotes, excuse me, were in trouble financially. And I always dismissed it because I would just go to Wayne and say, Wayne, are we in trouble? And Wayne would say, no, I got assurances from the owner. I shook his hand. He, he'd never put this team in bankruptcy. And so I always felt pretty good. But um, St. Louis was in town. I got a phone call from Mike Caruso. And uh, they, they've got a day off. And uh, I'll, a typical Caruso called me at the last minute. Um, <laughs> good. A good Caruso and, uh, shot is always welcome. <laughs> Attaboy, Mike. And uh, he just says, hey, listen, is there any, ch- any chance you can get us out on a g- golf course? Which happens all the time when you live in Phoenix. And I belong to a course called Blackstone. And my dad was in town. And I said, uh, I said yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing today with my dad. And uh, I said, Who, who's there? And he said, well, J.D., me, that's four. And, uh, and Chaser. That's five. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, I'll call the club. I think we can play in a five some there. It's not a very busy club. And, and so I call the club. No problem. Got everybody clubs and whatever. How are you guys getting out there? Any chance you can pick us up? All right. So now, I go, now I go pick them up. So at that point, I've got a Range Rover. And I got my dad, who's at that, he's 76 probably. Luckily, he's smaller. I got JD cramped up there. I got three in the back. Chaser. My dad. And, and, and you know, I got to go... 30 minutes there, 30 minutes there, and we get to the golf course, and they're complaining because they're all been, you know, they're all tight. I'm like, get off your wallet, you guys, and get a car. <laughs> but anyway, during that, during that course of play, because it was one of the final games of the year, J.D. pulled me aside a couple of times. And he just said, listen, big boy, I'm, you know, big boy, what are you going to do? And I said, we're going to be here. I'm going to be okay. And he goes, hmm, I don't think so, big boy. And I'm like, all right, J.D., what, what, what do you think? And he goes, you know, we're thinking of doing something with our broadcast, and we're, we're thinking of adding something. And, uh, and we've talked about it, but we're not, we're not sure where we're going, and we won't do it unless we get somebody that we think fits this, this, this plan. I, I said, I don't think so, J.D. I mean, I said, number one, I played for the Blackhawks. I know it doesn't mean anything now. It's been years gone by, but there's something about, and I think people will say it, especially in St. Louis, because they are, that's one, uh, that's as mean as it got. And uh, I said, he, I said it could be an issue. And he goes, <laughs> big boy. He says, he says, don't kid yourself. He says, you weren't that effing good as a goalie anyway. <laughs> he says they won't remember that. What you play eighty games? And I and he was making. And I was like, that's a good point. He goes, you've been a, broad, a national broadcaster for twenty five years. He said the Blues fans will love you. You'll be fine. And I kind of stuck that in the back of my head. I'm thinking, what a challenge that would be coming into St. Louis. And I always loved the city. I always loved the alumni. And, uh, and Chaser had become a, a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, all right. So then months went by, and then the word got out. And it was really, they were really in bankruptcy. And it was really a bad situation. So I had lunch. So they had been being dishonest with, uh, with Wayne? Wayne? So they had I, been, really. So I had a lunch with Wayne, and Wayne, Wayne said, uh, I'm leaving. Him, he is. And I said, everything? And he goes, yep. And I said, whoa. Wow. I, I said, I'm gone then. I'm not staying around. And uh, he said, do you have any options out there? And I said, the St. Louis Blues. And I, I said, there's a couple of other opportunities again. And I said, I'm interested in this conversation I had with J.D. And he said, uh, he said, go to St. Louis. You'll love it. And so there's Wayne. You know, he said, you'll love it. It's great. Great city. They'll love you. And I said, I'm a little concerned. I, 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 and he goes, oh, he gave me the same thing. Oh, geez, would you but get, go to St. Louis and get, get, you know, and now I've been here for 10 years. How about that? And I, I call it a leap of faith. And, and some people might take offense to that, but I, I think it's accurate. 
I think it's, it was a, a, a really, it was a leap of faith. Would the fans, I was very nervous my first game, especially the first game, you know, doing it with the Blackhawks. There was something about it. I, I kept thinking that all these eyeballs and everybody was listening to everything I said, and they were going to be very critical of it. And I think that it probably did happen, I, although I was pre- pretty numb to it. Um, but after that first half of the year, I feel more comfortable. And I don't think I became like the broadcast, a natural broadcaster here with John and with Bernie and everybody, it probably took me a good year, mm. you know, to really feel comfortable. And, uh, and then once that happened, and, and, you know, and then once the, the team was getting, re- we were really good too. And I thought we had a real window of three years that we could win a couple of Stanley Cups. And so, uh, and I think we're going to, we're back to that now. Mm. You know, I, th- I think, I think we're right back to that window again. And uh, so, but anyway, get mad at the broadcast and that's, and that's what happened. And so my kids ended up going to Mizzou. My daughter graduated from Mizzou. She lives in Rock Hill. She works at Merritt's. She just got married. Her husband works at Worldwide Technology. How about that? My son, you know, graduated from here, and now he's a golf, an assistant golf pro out in New Jersey. He, he married a Jersey girl. But our, our, my whole family, for the first time in a long time, we were all here. And, and I love the, the size of this city because you can get around so quickly, and the kids love going to games. They're hockey fans. They, one's got a Petrangelo sweater. One's got a Tarasenko sweater. And, you know, everybody's... Well, my son's got a Jackman sweater. Excuse me, so I shouldn't say that. <laughs> For the record, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, we're I mean, they're fully into it. Like yeah. they just love it. Uh, Every I, Christmas gift, it's all blue stuff. All blues all, all the, the time. time. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Darren Pang here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. If you're a loyal listener of the Ryan Kelly Morning After, you're aware of Salt and Smoke. Um, but I kind of, in a weird way, hope that you're not aware of it even though I realize that might be really unlikely because now I'm introducing you to something that you're going to love and it makes me happy to do that. Salt and Smoke is the official brisket of the Ryan Kelly morning after. And here's the deal for me, and I don't know about you, when I go to a barbecue place, usually I'm probably getting ribs uh, more often than not. Uh, There's some places I love getting turkey, for example, but I never get brisket. It's just not something I get. And I remember meeting Tom from Salt and Smoke and his whole thing was, we want to be the official brisket of Ryan Kelly morning after, so let me have you try it. And I said, all right, you know, be happy to. And I'm like, oh, my God, this stuff is incredible. And it's still the only place I get brisket from. It is absolutely phenomenal. We had our son's first birthday party. Where do you want it catered from? Oh, that's real easy. Salt and smoke. Uh, and that's because, and I don't know how many people <laughs> came up to us over the course of the the day for uh, our son's birthday party and said, this food is incredible. Where is it from? I said, oh, salt and smoke. They are your caterer for any style party at any location. They can bring a team to cater at our home like they did for us or at a fancy venue. And we have uh, private event spaces at the Hampton location for you to enjoy at Salt Smoke. Or if you have a simple office luncheon, they can deliver and bring all the soppins and fixins needed for an effortless meal. Salt and Smoke can provide everything from linens to whole hog roast to full bar service. For more information, go online at saltandsmokestl.com. Salt and Smoke, great sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. And man, if you haven't tried that brisket, Give it a try. You will be in absolute heaven once you do. Salt and Smoke, they can be your caterer for any sale party at any location. We've used them, and therefore I don't hesitate to recommend them to you. Online at saltandsmokestl.com. When you were hired, I was like, this is a huge, the Blackhawks thing didn't cross my mind. 
I'm just like, this is a huge hire for the Blues. That was my reaction. Like, this is a great that's, thing. That's nice of you to say. I that. really, I mean, I'm yeah. like, that's. I mean, this guy is like the guy when it comes to analysts for the NHL. You know, that from my standpoint, synonymous. I'm like, wow, that's a great get for the Blues. Uh, did you ever get any of that fear of the? Did that ever happen? That perception that there would be some backlash from Blues fans I, who remember. Know, I think there was one situation where, and it might have been on on your show with uh, Chaser. Um, in the morning, and I, I think somebody might have called in. I didn't hear it, um, but uh, ch- somebody told me that Chaser really came to my defense. And I, and, and I think having that type of support was really instrumental. Anytime, if there's some noise anywhere, you can always count on Chaser yeah. to knock down oh, that noise you somewhere. You know, it, because that's the way he is. He's a good mm-hmm. teammate. And, uh, and same with Bernie. Like, Bernie, you know, when I came here, I actually called I called Bernie Federico first. So JD says, "Okay, we're going to make the, you know, we're going to make this move." I said, "I've, I, I need to talk to Bernie first," and that was number one. I said, "Can you pass me along his phone number?" And so, uh, so we did. And I said, "Bernie, I want to make sure it's okay with you. Like, we're gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna be added to the booth. I'm gonna be upstairs. You're gonna be between the benches. You know, I've done this before with three men. It can be a little awkward. How do you feel about it? Are you okay with me coming? If you're not, I'm not coming." That's kind of the way I did it because I was very concerned about the alumni here. Like, you know, I, 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 I don't walk. Well, this, this, it's, it's, it's a unique situation here in St. Louis. I, I think our, the alumni here is very, they're very proud. They're very, everybody that's here is not, not regional, but they're, very, they're all, I'm probably not using the right word to describe how I felt about being an outsider here. Yeah. And, uh, but every one of the guys, like I was invited to everything like right away and they all, they took me in. And so that was a big part of it. And, and Bernie also Bernie, the world-class guy that he is, fully arms wide open and let's go, let's go to work. Yeah. So, and that's what we did. And so it was, I mean, it was fun. And then we've since made a change and, you know, and Bernie, we were all running around with our heads cut off a little bit there. Pre-game show here, running there, doing this from the bench. And, and then they, they decided to make a change, just go one up, one down and Bernie's, you know, set on, on the set. Right. Is, so I think he's enjoying that, not traveling as much as well. So, Absolutely. You know, so anyway, that's, and it worked out fabulously. I mean, and it could have been, as you just made reference to, first off, you had the, the, kindness to call Bernie on your own and Bernie was cool about it which then goes back to something when when Chase was sitting in here a few months ago he said hockey has a way of weeding out the assholes it sure does why is and I would agree from covering the team when I was doing TV down there all the time I go man all these guys across the board like Pronger would sharpshoot you and make you earn your question so to speak which was great keep you on your toes but for the most part everybody couldn't have been cooler and that's not all the way it is always the way it is when you're covering other sports no it's not it's very it's very unique and i hope it doesn't leave the game but like when we were growing up there wasn't one player and if that player was better than everybody else and i just mentioned three players earlier in the podcast that that ended up being you know really good nhl players and one of them ends up being one of the greatest of all time if that player, if 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 Danny Quinn or Steve Eiserman or or anybody growing up or Chris Pronger, uh, growing up, thought so much of themselves that they put themselves like on such a different level than their teammates, but when we were six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we'd knock that person right over the head with a hammer <laughs> and and bring them right back down to earth because it is the ultimate team sport and it's a team game, and you know, and as a goalie, I knew my teammates. The great ones are the ones that came back and patch on the pads when you give up the worst goal that you'd ever give up. They're the guys that were, are with you all the time. I mean, you know, that, that part of our game, it has to be there. And, and I, I even think that a young player that comes up, no matter what country they're from, um, if they first start that way, they probably get a little leeway 
But as they get older, they figure it out. And maybe it takes some of them a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for the most part, especially in our culture in Canada, they it, it's you just you're not uh, you're not heads and tails above it. That's yeah. just the way it is. Uh, and you're not full of yourself. And you're right. If you're a bad guy, you just don't get picked from the team. Like no one wants a bad person on your team. Like I was the director of hockey development in Chicago for a team called the Naperville Sabers, and I, and I I wrote up a whole bunch of stuff that I I think to this day probably still lives. But I told all the coaches, you're all watching this double-A hockey team, and we all know who the best player is. So what I want you to do is that player there is the best player by far, but you don't have to pick him. There's no pressure to pick him. Go down on the bench, make sure you listen, see what the player's like. Go in the locker room, make sure you see what that player's like. If that player treats all his teammates bad and we're going to have a headache on our hands, I'm telling you right now, don't pick him. He can go somewhere else. He can go to another organization. If his parents are a pain in the neck and he's a pain in the neck and everywhere we go, we're going to be dealing with this, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. And these aren't triple-A players. These are double-A players and A players. So I, I, I like that. Like, you have to be able to blend in and be low-maintenance, low high-spirited, self-motivated, and a good person. Yeah. And if you're not, then don't pick them. <laughs> like, just say no. Yeah. You know, it's, I always say that to, to Army and, and some of my general manager friends. Oh, this guy, he's going to go to the KHL if he, if he doesn't get this deal. I said, let him go. He can go to the KHL. He'll figure out that that's not so hot over there and, and bring him back here. It's like, well, easier said than done. I'm like, eh, I, I don't know. That's kind of the way I've always oh, felt. I, I love like, that, though, I mean, just, about the game. Let's just chop in half, yeah. you, you know, until, think, until you become a better person and a better I, teammate. I think I think because fans want to be emotionally invested in not only their city's representative and the mm-hmm. game they love, but also believe that the people they're cheering for are you know, certainly flawed, but at the core, good people, you know, that they yep. can buy in. And I feel like hockey does a great job of representing that because the guys, almost without exception, are just really just down-to-earth good yeah. people. Yep. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's a compliment to the, the game that that continues to be passed on generation mm-hmm. to generation. Yeah. Um, along those lines, in 2016, when the Blues made it to the Western Conference Finals, um, I told Chase, he called me, I think it was before game one, and he was just—he so, was on cloud nine. I've made the analogy. It reminds me of uh, Robert De Niro's character in uh, Goodfellas, right after the Lufthansa heist. You know, he was <laughs> giving hugs to everybody, and he was in the best mood. And that's where Chase was. But all the alumni were as well. You keep bringing up the alumni; such a huge force yeah. in St. Louis for what we've seen with the youth movement locally. And when I think about the Blues reaching the mountaintop, I certainly think about the fans. It's kind of got a Red Sox esque element to it, you know, when that happened yep. in 2004, what it would mean for this region and this fan base. Uh, but I really also think about guys like <clears throat> Chase, you know, and the guys who came, obviously, a Bobby yep. Plager, and then the guys who've come since, uh, and what that would mean to them. That's, that's actually first and foremost who I think of, too. I think of those guys, the guys that wore the sweater, the guys that, that uh, they bled in the sweater, they've, they've represented the city in bad times, which I don't think people understand and, and a lot of people in hockey ops that, that, or even, you know, I came from outside, we'll call it, and people come from outside. But it's the guys that stay here year round. The players don't stay, a lot of them don't stay. They don't have to answer the question when you lose in the first round or mm-hmm. whatever. But the guys like Chaser and Bernie and uh, the Zooks and the Pateys and the, they, they all stay here. And they, they, they're the ones that have to answer the question. What happened there? What happened here? What's going on here? Why isn't this happening? You know? And, uh, and so there's a lot of responsibility on the alumni. And in my 10 years of being here, I, I, I see that. And I see the, the great passion of the city, the season ticket holder that has the, the, 
the, the stub from 1967. I mean, I think I've run into them all. I tend to go to a bar or two around here. And, 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 and uh, so I, I do. I think of the alumni and I think of the fans uh, first and foremost. Yeah, you know, yeah. And the players that are playing today have an opportunity to do something no one else has done. And, and that in itself is incredibly special. Yeah. And if, if they can pull it off, if Doug Armstrong can pull it off as the general manager of the St. Louis Blues and win a Stanley Cup, if Mike Yo can win a Stanley they're forever etched in the Lord. They'll walk down these streets forever, <clears throat> no matter what happens, you know, in years, in years following that. And they will be revered here in the city. I mean, what an opportunity that is. Yeah. What an opportunity. You know, you mentioned uh, Doug Armstrong, and I felt like there was about a 12-hour period this offseason where there was great despair yep. in the morning. And by 10 o'clock that night, people were thinking yep. it might happen this year. They were dancing year. in the street. Yeah. Wasn't that something yep. else? I, I, he turned it around. He turned it around. And, and the players are, there's some, there, I like to use the word spirit in the night, but there's, there's spirit now. These, these boys, they, he brought in character guys. The, Ryan O'Reilly, top shelf. I mean, when the game's going to be at its highest and hottest, he, he, he just plays the game. He's not going to shy away from it. And Bozak has been in Toronto. He knows how to play. He's already, I mean, he's already, he's, he's so involved, he bought his buddy Paul Stassi's house. So, oh, wow. So he, and, which is right, you know, is right close to or beside, uh, uh, you know, Alex Steen. So Steener lost his good buddy Stassi. In comes Bozak. Bozak and, and Steener have hit it off, and they live in the same area. I mean, you know, Bo Meester lives there. David Prawn, these guys are all together. They do things together. Um, and so, so Army, Army's done a great job. Yeah, we, who, who wasn't disappointed last year? We'd be, you can't lie in this business. Like, I was, in, I was in Minnesota. It was an off day. We were at the St. Paul Hotel. There's this, there's this great bar in the hotel. Wonderful steaks, too, there at oh. the St. Paul Grill. And then we're, we're watching NHL Network, and we're watching the day unfolding. And the players are wondering what's going on. And, you know, they're all, they're hockey players. They, they, they're wondering if we're adding something. They're not thinking about subtracting. And, you know, they're, they know they're not playing well, but they're feeling like they can get that spark back. And, you know, they find out Stastny's traded. I mean, it was disappointing. You, mm-hmm. you saw the comments from Shannon. Like, they're, they're walking around, Schwartz and Shen, the guys that care. The guys that are real hockey have that pulse. They're the ones that are walking around caring. I'm sure there are some of the players that are up in the room uh, playing Fortnite and, and, <laughs> and, and weren't bothering with it. But, but these guys are, you know, were, and they were disappointed. So then the year ends and they go on a run, which basically happens. You get over that morning period and then you get on a run and prove everybody wrong, which they nearly got in. And then the summer happens and then these trades took place. And now, the, I mean, the players, they, they, they're, they're strong up the middle, as strong as any team up the middle. They've got great young players. If anybody's watched Jordan Cairo and Sammy Blay and Robert Thomas, um, they're, they're not, nor, they're, these, are high, these are higher end prospects. So their amateur side's done great. Um, I'm watching Chad Johnson who's going to back up. You know, I, I wondered about that as well. I'm yeah. a big Carter Hutton fan, but obviously he got a lot more money to be a number one guy and it wasn't going to work here. So so that, there's another opportunity for Chad Johnson. He's good. Vili Huso's good. Our, our cupboard's full, you know. It, it's it's really, really good right now. And as long as, you know, you've got Petrangelo and Pareko and Edmondson and Dunn and Bo Meester looks a lot. I mean, he's obviously healthy and Gunnarsson's healthy. So Maybe not as deep on the blue line, but I think we've 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 got enough depth there. There is so much anticipation. For this yeah, there is. There really there. is, isn't there? And we got the third jerseys back. 
How do you like the, the third, third jersey? Sweaters. How do you like the third well, jersey? We're the, Jersey Hawks on our the, show. They're right? phenomenal. Yeah. They're phenomenal. We call them sweaters, but, you know, in Canada. But they're, they're, the jerseys are great. I've been, I, I guess I've, I've been in the States a lot, long enough that I can call them a jersey. You can call them a jersey. Yeah. But see, I've got my Tim Hortons uh, <laughs> yeah, mug here. You're and still says, loyal to Tim Hortons, a, though. You're still loyal to Tim Hortons. It says A, and it's got <laughs> hockey, you know, so... Oh, I think it's got maple syrup there, it's got, too. Okay, so. It looks like got, a goose, I see there. Yeah, sure, goose, why not? You know, and a toque <laughs> and a donut. Um, but but anyway, I think they're beautiful. Yeah. And I think what, uh, uh, you know, I think what Tom Stillman and his group, I don't, I know they get a lot of credit and they, they just totally deserve it. They, they've created something special here now. You know, that's the, if the Enterprise Center, the offices, they look like offices. They, they you know, they, they I think... Players want to feel like NHL players. That locker room area, where, where what they've got behind the locker room, and they feel like NHL players. The, everybody that's working hard every day, selling tickets and sponsorship, and mm-hmm. you know having to answer the bell and do and be pressure. They're in a pressure job, and but they feel, you know, like they're working in a high end spot yeah. now. So I think all all the way around, I think uh, I think city of St. Louis is lucky to have this ownership group and what they put into it. And uh, I know they put some money back into the center, but you have to. Otherwise, it, it, it becomes dilapidated yeah. and be, behind the times, and, and UFAs aren't coming here, mm-hmm. and we won't get the All-Star game, and we won't get the draft. And we, but now that we've got a great chance of getting maybe you know, one, of the, one of those or maybe all of them. Who, who the heck knows? So yeah. um, I'm, really, I'm really excited about that and the third sweater. Yeah, fresh And roster, the third sweater. Fresh sweater yep. and fresh building. Final question for you. Now, on our, on our radio program, which is obviously a moron factory, there's no question about it. No, that's, I, it's world... Is it world rated? Like, is it high? Is it's, it, the, it's actually the number three show in the world. In the world, yeah, and, and it's with a bullet though, so it might yeah. get to get to number one. For wow, AM radio stations, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, well, no you said for a promo. Yeah, uh, we. There's a gentleman by the name. He calls in his daddy Padre, but his name's Tyler Stewart, and he is the, I believe the. I don't know what the term is for it, but if like a like a goalie is in yeah. transition. He's sitting in the 300 Tyler level. Stewart, yeah, I know. I, okay, yeah, you know, so you yeah, know him. Yeah. Um, Doug Vaughn. He's my, your spare goalie. That's basically. right. Doug Vaughn, my co-host, yeah. thinks that that is the dumbest thing in sports, that there is <laughs> a guy sitting in the 300 level who could actually wind up playing in the game. And he always goes back to, why not put, like, Bortuzzo or something like that? So that's in his go-to net. play in the net. Yeah. And he's asked Chase about it. I feel like he's asked Kachuk about it or I asked Kachuk about it. And they're both like, no, you don't understand. If just because you play hockey doesn't mean that that means you can go play goal in goal. Yeah. Your thoughts on Daddy Padre, aka Tyler Stewart, and the rule. You got it. It wasn't Tyler Stewart the drummer for Bare Naked Ladies. I believe he was. Yeah, now okay, he's okay. now he's stocking vending machines yeah. when he's not sitting in the theater and Tim Hortons. Um, um, well, you're right on both counts. If if you've got a player on your on your uh, on your roster that did play goal growing up or does throw the goalie equipment on in practice, which used to happen a lot more than it does now, um, and, and and could put on goalie skates. Then that would be a possibility. I, I, w- I would I would actually probably re- do that rather than no offense to Tyler Stewart or whatever, but but because Tyler's played, I mean he is a goalie. I mean he's grown up being. I mean so there there is a difference there. Um, and actually, Tyler's pretty good. He's pretty quick in these yeah, good movements. So, oh so I like my. that. So I do like that. But I, I see the other side. But I think what maybe what Doug, what you, the skates of a forward are rockered. You're not going to put on those skates and put on goalie pads over top of those skates. You, your balance, you'll be falling on your face the whole time. So the, 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 the skate blade of a goalie is flat. 
so that you, you have that balance and you're more on your heels than you are. Anyway, so long story short, um, unless you've worn and experienced that, you're not going to be thrown in that position. Um, I think it's the coolest thing in the world that a kid that never had a chance to play in the NHL plays rec hockey and has a few beers with the boys afterwards, or maybe in the middle of the game, who knows, <laughs> and has a chance to put on the sweater and get treated like pros because every one of our NHL players on the Blues and around our league pat them on the pads and treat them just like a player once you're in the equipment. And once you throw on that sweater, you are one of your teammates. So I think the fun part is that keeps a kid motivated to keep playing the game and get him a chance to play. Like, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. So He did win a floor hockey championship, I believe, at Brentwood a couple weeks ago, so he's trending Tyler up. Did? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, see? He probably played forward, though. <laughs> like, no goalie been... wants to play goalie in floor hockey. I'm telling you that right now. We all wanted to play. We wanted we wanted to score and dangle and toe-drag somebody. To not to, yeah. Not Hanger, to... I've enjoyed the hell out of it, yeah, sir. Love pleasure. talking yeah. golf and hockey with you. Thank you so much. We'll play, we'll play sometime. I would love okay? that. Thank little six-point scotch game, hammer game, something like oh, that. Man, oh, oh, are you? Yeah, give me on the hammer. Okay, Absolutely. sounds good. Thanks, Panger. <laughs> So there it is, Darren Pang here on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Loved the conversation. And, you know, the thing that I always enjoy most when I have, um, you know, members of the Blues in whatever capacity they're in is that kind of final question where I ask, what would it be like if they won the Stanley Cup? And uh, it sounds like Panger's on the same page with me. You think of the guys who actually wore the sweater uh, dating back to Bobby Plager through Kelly Chase and then some of the recent alumni as well, uh, and what that would mean, I'm telling you. And the, and the fact that, you know, when I talked about this year's roster and the anticipation for this year, his eyes lit up. That was not a uh, that was not a dog and pony show there. That was sincerity. He is very optimistic about this upcoming season, and that fires you up as well. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, his playing career, I, you know. What he, first off, who he played with, holy smokes, but then secondarily, you know, grinding uh, to get to the NHL and, you know, having that defining moment where he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm not good enough. And then going back and working his ass off to make sure that he got back and stuck around. Um, that kind of tells you the the, the, the kind of guy that, that, that he is. Um, as a broadcaster, Love listening to him, love watching. The broadcast teams across the board here locally are so good. Um, but I've always felt like uh, because of the chemistry and the passion for the organization the Blues have just had, uh, fans of the Blues just have had great fortune with the caliber of broadcasters that we have here in St. Louis. So it's so good to have Panger in and talking it over with him. Hope it fires you up for the upcoming season and also gives you some history on uh, his career and his upbringing and also just his love for the game. Darren Pang here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. So uh, Ryan Kelly, uh, James Carlton, Mark Hanna, Seth Goldcamp, and Johnny Londoff, all making the podcast possible. Hope you enjoy it. Always welcome your feedback. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Recommendations for future guests, recommendations for uh, questions from the audience, some other things you'd like to see us do. I'm all for it, man. Uh, we love creating content, so keep firing it away. Uh, email me at T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Come. As always, for everybody who has taken time out of their day to listen, for my producers, Gangster Pete and Iggy, for videographer Nick Yale, for all of our sponsors, I'm Tim McKernan. Thanks to Darren Pang for his time, and thank you for listening to another edition of The Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.